0: Alright, this is uh, completely weird and unnatural, but I'm going to attempt to give a message through live stream on Facebook. Never done this before, so weird. Uh, But the reason we're doing this today is because we're not meeting as normal in our worship service in our building, and the reason we're not doing that is that we're in the middle of a whole bunch of rain and our local government. Uh, our Hornet County government and your emergency services and so forth have asked us to uh, stay off the roads, And so we believe we should be good citizens. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to stay off the roads and everyone uh, stayed in and we canceled our services. Uh, But I always think it's good to open up God's word and for us to uh, spend a little bit of time getting reminded and learning uh, who it is that we worship and the kind of life that God calls us to live. So Why not attempt to do this right now online from the warmth and uh, dryness of my office? So I do hope you're all doing well. Um, Earlier in the week, it looked like we were about to get hit head on by this awful, nasty storm. We had a a Category uh, 4 storm that looked like it was heading right at us. And I was around in 96 when Hurricane Fran came through, and that was an Ugly storm. It was a Cat Three. We looked like we were about to get a Cat Five. I'm uh, sorry, a Cat Four storm hit, heading right up at us and coming over us. Um, and so uh, we got spared. Uh, uh, this past Tuesday, several of us met in our sanctuary in our building, and we prayed from 5:30 to 8:30. And some people kind of came in and out, and and it was good. And we just prayed and we asked for God to spare us. Uh, from the storm. Uh, we prayed in humility. We asked for His will to be done, not for our will to be done. Uh, we asked for God to calm the storm, um, and more importantly, to calm us in the midst of the storm. I, I believe that God can stop any wind and wave and in, in anything at any time because He's all-powerful God. But um, what actually brings God more glory is for us to be at peace and rest, even when everything around us is going crazy. So Anyway, uh, we prayed in humility. We asked God, could you please spare us? And God, in his mercy, he actually did listen and, and, and heed our petition. And he did so because as soon as we got home from that uh, from that prayer time, the report started coming in that the storm was diminishing and the path was beginning to turn uh, quite a bit. And by Wednesday, it became very clear that God was going to spare us. Uh, we clearly have gotten wind. We clearly have gotten a lot of rain uh, unfortunately, some people have lost homes. There is flooding that is happening. Uh, it's very sadly some people have uh, uh, lost their lives as a result. So it's still uh, a very significant storm. But uh, praise God, nowhere near as devastating and catastrophic as it looked like it was going to be earlier in the week. So we do pray for those individuals whose homes have been destroyed, who have lost a loved one, uh, or who are still in fear of rising flood waters. We pray for them. We hope that God would take care of them. Uh, But that being said, the fact is that the storm was nowhere near as bad as it looked like. And I do believe it's because God listened to us, um, and we prayed in humility and with faith, and, and God in this situation did relent Uh, on the storm he hasn't promised to calm every storm but in this case he did so and so we give him praise and we're grateful um, that many of us are in a very dry home and some of us do have power and so forth so uh with that i will say that it's good to live in safety i would say that that's a main characteristic of what a good home is uh, and that's a good segue into what i want to share this morning Uh, We last we began a sermon series entitled Welcome Home. Uh, We're taking a look at the home, the good home that God invites us all into. And one of the main characteristics of a good home is that it is safe, that it is a refuge, a sanctuary, a shelter, a place where we can relax a little bit, a place where we can be secure, uh, a place where uh, maybe our family. Fight at flight type hormones could be at rest. Maybe our adrenal glands aren't pumping out as much adrenaline and cortisol uh, because we're constantly frantic and so, forth, and so forth. So, a home is a place where we can relax and be calm and where the fears relieved and the worries relieved. It's a sanctuary. Well, a good home should be a, a safe and secure place, and that is the kind of home that God invites us into very clearly. It tells us in Psalm 91 verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. This is the home that God invites us into. He invites us to make his presence our residence. Uh, all powerful all loving all wise all gracious god invites us uh for his presence to be the place of security and safety and comfort to be our sanctuary and our refuge so that no matter what comes our way, whether it's a Category 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 storm, uh, whether we find ourselves in a car accident, uh, even if we find ourselves with cancer, even if we find ourselves in very uh, disturbing relationship problems, even if we find ourselves persecuted because of our faith, God offers his presence to be our home, and there's no place safer than it is uh, with God in experiencing his presence. There's nothing better than his presence being our home. But a home isn't only a place that is safe. A hospital is a safe place. A police station is a safe place, unless your name is Sarah Connor, Uh Triton High School was a safe place as a shelter until a leak started coming through and they had to move everyone to Harnett Central uh, for the hurricane shelter. Um, But although these places are relatively safe, it is clear that we would never call them home. They're safe places, but they're not home. And so there's more to a home than it just being a safe place. A home is a place of communion, a place where we're family, where we enjoy other people's company where we relate with other folks, where we actually enjoy intimacy and meaningful relationships. So again, back to Psalm 91 verse one, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high God will abide in the shadow of the almighty. What that verse reveals is that God doesn't just want us to live under his protection. So he's not a mob boss. He's not saying, I'll have you under my protection. No, it's better, it's more, it's greater than that. He doesn't just want us to live under his protection. He wants us to live in his presence. And it's in his presence, yes, there we enjoy protection and safety and security, but we also enjoy love and we enjoy joy. Uh, That's the good home that God is inviting us into. It is a life in which we inhabit the presence of God, the love of God, and the joy of God. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bible there at home, where you're sitting, wherever you're watching this, just open up your Bible to John, the Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in John 15, just over the next few minutes or so. And I just want to point out from that scripture that the home that God invites us into, it's one in which his presence, his love, and his joy are our home. And the way that we enjoy that home is through abiding. We, it's through abiding in Christ that we enjoy love. Enjoy that we enjoy his presence is through abiding in Christ. So it says in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So, a little bit of context in the Old Testament, um, it often uses vine imagery to refer to the nation of Israel, so to God's covenant people. Uh, It's a symbol that's used to portray them, and unfortunately, in the Old Testament, every time this vine analogy is used of God's people, it's always used in reference to their unfaithfulness to God or to their lack of fruit. There's supposed to be a vine producing a certain kind of fruit. Uh, but because they're not doing so, they're referred to this vine that is lacking in fruit, and therefore, because of their unfaithfulness and in their failure to do the things that they're supposed to be doing, the, there's a corresponding judgment that they should expect as a result of that. So, imagine that you at home and you want a grapevine in your yard on your property somewhere because you enjoy grapes or grape juice or wine or whatever the case may be and so you got to know that it takes a lot of work in order to get a vine to where it's going to yield enough of a crop for you all right you're going to have to work hard and arduously in order for that to be the case you're going to have to work for at least three years for at least three years before you even get the smallest of fruits out of that vine And you're probably going to have to work a lot longer in order to get an uh, an entire crop, in order to get just a glass of grape juice off of that. So just imagine having to work tirelessly for over three years to get even something out of the vine that you so desperately want. So then imagine that you work for three, five, ten years, and that vine is not producing anything remotely close to what it is that you worked so hard in order to yield. What are you going to do? well, you're probably going to cut it down or you're probably going to burn it down. And the reason why, because it's not fulfilling its purpose. It's not doing what you want it to do. The purpose of the vine is to produce fruit for the owner of the vine. And so you as the owner, you as the vine dresser are well within your right to take an ax to that vine or to set it on fire because it's not doing what it is that you as the owner and the vine dresser intended for that vine. Well, in the Old Testament, God planted a vine. He made a promise to a man named Abram Uh, who later became Abraham, he made a promise that through him, he was going to create a nation. He was going to, through the the descendants of Abraham, he was going to create his own people. He was going to plant a vine. That's who those people were to be. The trick was that Abram and his wife, Sarah, were like 80, 70 years old at the time. They were well past childbearing years. Sarah was barren. They had never had any children, so God intervened supernaturally. He worked in her, and she uh, conceived the child his name was Isaac name was Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had 12 sons and through that uh, family God created this nation the people of Israel God's covenant people uh, we see in Psalm chapter 80 verse 8 I believe it is where that nation is referred to as a vine that God brought out of Egypt, because they are at one point were enslaved in bondage in Egypt. God redeemed them, saved them out of that there in uh, that situation, that plight in Egypt. And he brought them out, brought them across the wilderness, brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, also known as Palestine, known as Canaan, uh, the the area that we refer to as Israel. There were other nations there. That verse talks about how God displaced those nations from that uh, geography and implanted that vine in that uh, part of the world that 's israel that 's god 's people, the vine. well, we know that God had a purpose for them he didn 't just do it randomly didn 't do it just because he wanted to he didn't just uh, god didn 't just plant them in that land to see if he could. He had a purpose, and that purpose was for them to be fruitful. Uh, for them to live the kind of life in which they brought him glory and honor. Uh, They were supposed to be faithful to him, uh, walk in all of his ways, and they were to rest in his love and in his joy. That was their purpose. But if you read in the Old Testament over and over and over and over again, Israel fails to yield that fruit that they're supposed to uh, produce for God, who is the vine dresser and the owner they constantly turned away from god and pursued false idols they constantly turned from god's ways and pursued earthly or or man's ways they turned away from godliness and they pursued sin and they gave themselves over to a sinful lifestyle over they were unfaithful to the god who loved them they were unfaithful to the god who planted them in a good land they were unfruitful they didn't bear out that which god intended for his people to bear out so that that brings us to a question which is simply what should god do what what should the vine dresser then do with the vine that is not bearing fruit Well, the Old Testament said that, well, the vine's not producing, so judgment must be meted out. In other words, an axe must be taken to the vine or fire must be set to it. Enter Jesus into the story. Jesus, who's God Almighty, the Son of God, he comes out of heaven, he comes into earth, and he goes to a cross, and there he took the acts upon himself in an act of sacrifice and in love. He took the fire upon himself. He took the judgment that was deserved by the people who were unfaithful, who, were, uh, who failed morally, who were unfruitful. He took the wrath and the judgment and the punishment upon himself. That's mercy. That's the story of the gospel. That's the beauty of what it is that we as believers believe and give our lives over to, that Jesus would do that for us. He sacrificed himself. You know, we always refer to the cross and what took place on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it was more than just a physical torment, though it was clearly that. It went further than that. Uh, Jesus hung on that cross for six hours. The final three hours, uh, he was cast, scripture says, into outer darkness. It was in those three hours that he took our sin upon himself. He bore that sin as if he had committed it. And there the Father poured that judgment upon Jesus. He took the axe. He took the judgment. He took the fire upon himself. Uh, He went to the cross there on account of our unfaithfulness. He went to the cross out of love for us. Uh, for He who was obedient went to the cross for us who are disobedient. He who uh, is faithful went to the cross for us who are unfaithful. And that's why Jesus refers to himself in John chapter 15 verse, five, verse 1 as, I am the true vine. He succeeded where we have failed. He was faithful where we are unfaithful. He was sinless where we have sinned. He was obedient where we're disobedient. He bore fruit where we have not. He fulfilled God's purposes, God's will, God's desires. Jesus is the true vine. Well, the fact that Jesus is the true vine implies something. It implies that there are actual false vines. There are false vines in this world, and therefore we must be extremely careful about what vine we are attaching ourselves to, what vine we may be, in fact, grafted into. So all of us, whether we know it or not, whether we've thought about it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, all of us are grafted into a vine, into some vine. The question is, are we grafted, tethered, attached to Jesus, who is the true vine, or are we attached, tethered, grafted into a false vine? And it's really easy, really, really easy for us to be grafted into a false vine, to be deceived into thinking that we're attached to the right one, the good one, when in fact we're not. So years ago, When I went to buy my first house, Uh, I did, as most people do, recruited a realtor and she drove me all around creation looking for houses, looking for a place to uh, make my, my first home. And so we're driving around everywhere and showing me different neighborhoods. And as is the case these days, most of these new developments, they have that model house. Uh, that they stage and they put the furniture and stuff up on the walls to make it look like it's a home, to give you a sense of the craftsmanship and the good work of the developer, uh, give you a sense of what it would feel like for your stuff to be inside and so forth. So uh, the realtor takes me into this neighborhood. We drive up, we park, there's a few other cars there. We're going into the model house. We walk in, and she's showing me around. There's a couple of people in the home there, Um, and we're in there several minutes. There's a guy sitting on a couch. Um, There was a TV. He's watching TV, and so I was like, all right, that's interesting. We're walking around. She's pointing out all these wonderful things about the house, the marble counters and the, the crown molding and all that good stuff. Well, after several minutes, the guy that was sitting on the couch looks at us and says, well, can I help you? and my realtor just looked at it and said no 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 we're just looking around well we walk around for another two minutes and finally it dawned on me that was not the model home that was an actual home and that was someone's residence that we had just walked into as if it were the model home and so uh my realtor was clueless as to it i figured it out and i'm like no we gotta get out we're gonna get shot my, my point is simply this We couldn't tell the difference between that house and all the others. We couldn't tell the difference between the model home, what was supposed to be the model home, and that one home. And so it was really, um, it was funny at the time, but we were wrong, we were misled, we were mistaken, and we walked into the wrong place spiritually, it is the same way. It's easy to make the same mistake. It's easy to step into what we think is the right home, the model home, when in fact, it is not so. It looks that way on the outside. It may even sound that way on the inside, but it's not the kind of home we should be uh, walking into. The world is full of false teaching that leads us astray. The world is full of uh, this false philosophy, and it's really easy for us to settle into it. There are damning philosophies. They they sound good. They they, they make sense based on our human reasoning and intellect, uh, but they really just lead us away from the God that loves us. There There's all these lies in the world, and whether it's MSNBC or whether it's Fox News or local media or Facebook posts or people that uh, everyone's sharing and tagging these supposed preachers that on Facebook and you get little snippets and stuff it sounds good it sounds right It get you really excited it makes sense It, it advances your political views or for your philosophy but the fact is that it's not the true vine, it's a false vine. It's it's just lies and deceits that lead us away from the God who loves us and leads us away from the real home that God wants to provide for us. The good home of love and this presence and of this joy that God wants to provide for each and every one of us. So the question for us, are we tethered to Jesus who's the real vine, or are we been led astray? Are we mistaken? Are we, are we wrong in thinking that we're attached to the right vine when in fact we're attached to the wrong vine? Are you attached to the world and its false teachings and its lies, or are you attached to the God who loves you? So what I would say is that for all of us, we need to evaluate our heart, our life, our belief, compare it against scripture, uh, go to people who are in the know and ask him and help us to evaluate our lives. And it may be that for some of us, we just simply need to believe in God for the first time, to believe in Jesus Christ for who he actually is, to give our lives, to follow him and to place our faith in him, to make Jesus our home, to attach our lives to him because Belief, Biblically speaking, is not just simply believing, but it means faith. And faith is always faithful following. So it's attaching ourselves, grafting ourselves into who Jesus is and who uh, he is and what he has done for us. And so then, once we've made that initial decision to follow Jesus, to attach ourselves to him, then we must abide in him. So that gets us into the next few verses we're looking at so in john 15 verse 2 jesus says every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so basically there are two kinds of people on planet earth branches who are attached to jesus and those who are not those are the only two kinds of people on the planet branches attached to jesus and those who are not What Jesus is saying in that verse is that every branch, every true believer, every actual Christian, every authentic follower of Jesus, every single one of us who have real sincere faith in Jesus, we will, we will, we will bear fruit in our lives, spiritual fruit, some measure of it, perhaps not every day, perhaps not times, but we will bear some degree and measure of fruit in our lives. Um, and, and that means several different things. So, first and foremost, it means becoming more like Christ. So, over time, there, we're less sinful, uh, less um, uh, our capacity to be tempted and to be lured into sin diminishes and we become more Christ-like. So, more loving and more gracious and more obedient to the Lord in every way. So, that's one form of spiritual fruit. The other one is that god uses us to make disciples that we are on mission that we share the gospel with other people and we're leading people to faith in christ we're helping others to respond to the love of god so so that's the fruit that god is at work in us changing us making us more like jesus and he's he's using us to draw more people to jesus so this is true of every believer this is a mark of authentic christianity All of us who have been transformed by the grace of God will bear fruit in our lives. So not only will we bear fruit, but then the verse tells us that God in his wisdom and love will actually take the pruning shears to us. And none of us are exempt. It says there that he prunes every branch so that it will bear more fruit. Not a fun process, often a painful process. An uncomfortable process but it's for our own good and it's for the glory of God and this is how we know for a fact that we are attached to Jesus and that Jesus Christ himself is our presence in our home do we see God at work in us changing us growing us and making us more like Christ do we see in fact God using us to advance the gospel and to further his kingdom in this world do we see that can people see a difference in our lives uh, today versus five years ago uh, or ten years from now versus where we are today so are you bearing fruit in your life which branch are you are your branch attached to Jesus or one that is not So moving on from there in John 15, verses three and four, it says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then in verse four, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So there's that word. I said earlier, God wants a good home for us. He wants to welcome us into a good home. He's inviting us into a good home. It's a home of safety. It's a, it's a home of God's presence, of God's love, and of God's joy. And the way that we enjoy and partake and experience that home is through abiding in Jesus. And that's what we see here. Jesus keeps saying, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. That word abide means to remain, to stay, to hold it fast. So like I shared last week in the message. None of us go to the attorney's office to spend 10 hours signing 3,000 pieces of paper, get a loan and to secure a mortgage and buy a house and then not move into the house. None of us go to closing, sign all the documents and then go live on the street homeless. None of us do that. All of us would move in and make it our home. We would abide in that home. You can't enjoy the home that you just bought, that you just Purchase and signed your life away over to unless you abide in it and remain in it. So Jesus tells us to abide in him. He is home. He is calling us to continually hold on to him. He's calling us to to make him our home and to abide in him, not just when a hurricane comes, but in all times. Uh, also, when there are sunny skies, to for our dependence on him to be continuous, for our reliance to be always, every moment of every day, for us to be exercising constant faith in him in the bad times, clearly, and also in the good times. So it was ironic that this past Tuesday, We gathered in our church building, in our sanctuary uh, to pray. I'm sure that we weren't the only ones doing so. I'm sure that there were many Christians uh, in the eastern part of North Carolina and even South Carolina gathering to pray or praying by themselves because of the storm that was coming. Um, And so everyone gathers on Tuesday. And I think it was ironic that we all did this on, on Tuesday. And the reason I say it was ironic is that Tuesday was September 11th. 9-11. This past Tuesday was the 17th anniversary of when those terrorists attacked uh, our nation and 3,000 Americans uh, perished in that one day in just a matter of moments uh, for the senseless evil that uh, a few carried out in this world. And on that day, I remember it very clearly after that that morning's attacks, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands, however many it was, gathered in many churches to Gray and, and, and everyone sensed in that moment their smallness. Uh, we sensed in that moment our vulnerability, just how much we actually need God's help and God's protection. Uh, this is what a hurricane does. This is what a, an attack does. It shows our smallness and our vulnerability, how much we need God's mercy every moment. Uh, but what was so sad then, 17 years ago, is how quickly that sense of need dissipated. Uh, Just like these rains and these floodwaters will soon dissipate, it was amazing how quickly uh, people retreated back into their lives without God. So a true Christian is aware of our need each and every moment. Not just when a terrorist attack happens, not just when a storm comes, but Every moment we're fully aware of how much we need God, not just in the good times, uh, uh, not just in the crisis, but all the time. So Jesus mentions in that chapter, he says a, uh, a branch has to be attached to the vine. Well, what happens if you cut a branch off a tree? The branch withers and dies. And the reason why is because it's no longer attached to its source of life. Abiding in Jesus is about being attached to the source of life. It's realizing that He is divine. We're branches and that we're constantly in need of Him. We have to stay attached to Him. I mean, right now, wherever you are, take a deep breath. I needed one. I'm talking kind of fast. Take a deep breath right now. Feel that air fill your lungs and let it out. You gotta know that the only reason you can do that right now is because of God's power and mercy in your life. It's God who keeps air, air. It's God who makes your lungs capable of expanding. It's God who's at work in your life, allowing you to take every breath that you take all day, every day, All the days of your life, He makes it so we can breathe. But we need Him for everything, every moment of every day. This is what it means to abide in Jesus. Um, Many think of going to church or going to Bible study or praying as a way of recharging our spiritual batteries. You know, uh, quite honestly, for years I've had. Uh, A problem with that illustration, with that analogy. Uh, It implies that we go to God to church or Bible study or prayer or whatever the case may be. We kind of get what we need and we go about our business and then we just kind of come back to God when we need more God and more power and and all that. And I kind of sort of get what people mean by it, but I, I think that's an inadequate and misleading Uh, illustration. I think instead of thinking of ourselves as spiritual batteries that need recharging, we need to think of ourselves more like wireless modems. So a wireless modem is either connected to the internet or it's not. It doesn't get connected and it can go on about its business still connected. It's either connected or it's not. We're the same way. We're either connected to Christ or we're not. We're either abiding in Christ or we're not. There's no, I get enough Jesus and move on and then go about my day until I need more Jesus. Either I'm in need of Jesus and I'm connected to him or I'm not. And so abiding in Christ means always being connected to him. It means always, always being mindful of how much we need him as we're driving on a sunny day because anything can happen at that stoplight. It means... Uh, being mindful of him and and our dependence on him at work when we don't know what's going to happen at work. It's praying constantly for wisdom and guidance because we don't know what decision is coming down the pike at us. Folks, abiding in Jesus just means living in our need, aware of our need, always, every moment. And that's home. And that's a good home, being always aware how much we need Christ and abiding in him. And the reason we should always abide in Jesus is because God's love and joy is our home only as, as we abide in Christ. So in John 15 verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what makes this world such a terrible home is the deficit of love and joy, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about it, like, why is the world like so such an unpleasant place so often? Why, why do we feel uncomfortable in our own skin? Why doesn't it feel right here? as much as we believe that it should. And the reason why is just the lack of love that we have, that other people have, and the lack of joy that we have and other people have. Like, it's it's amazing. Just if you walk around and you just observe people or if you actually have real conversations with individuals, individual, how much love and joy is lacking, whether they're giving it or whether they're receiving it. It just really doesn't exist. That's what makes this world such a bad home. But... God offers us a home that is characterized by love and joy, and not just any love and joy, his love and joy. Love means to have a great affection for someone. Love means to have a great appreciation or a high regard for someone. Uh, To love means to have a concern and a sufficient concern that someone is willing to sacrifice something for the good of that individual. So here's what God is offering. Here's the home that God is offering to each of us, for His, uh, for our life to inhabit His love, in which He is willing to sacrifice for our good. Like He's inviting us to inhabit a life in which He takes care of us, He cares for us, He's concerned for us, He in which we receive His great affection, in which. He values us and has a great regard for us. That is the home that God is inviting us into, one in which his love governs over everything in us and around us. That's a good home. That's a good home, right? Well, joy means delight and gladness. The opposite of joy is sadness, sorrow, grief. Um, it, it Joy is If you think about it, joy makes us strong. Think about that. Joy makes us strong. So um, if you wake up on the right side of the bed, if you happen to be in a good mood, imagine how much more you do than the alternative. If you're in a good mood, you have energy. You, you, You get more done. You get it done faster. You're more effective. You're more efficient. That's just if we're in a good mood. Imagine if there's an actual true sense of joy and imagine that that sense of joy is in God and in his grace. That joy fuels us. It emboldens us. It gives us life. It it gives strength to our legs, to our feet, to our hands, and to our arms. It gives us strength. It it carries us unlike anything else. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says very famously, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So joy just does that to us, particularly joy in the grace of God. God is offering us a life full of joy, His joy. He's sharing His joy with us that we would have strength and courage and do everything that we're supposed to do and to do it the right way. Uh, He's willing to give us love and joy that casts out fear and that casts out worry. Folks, that is the home that God is inviting us into. And I would hope, and I would think that all of us would think that that's a good thing, that that's the kind of home we all desire. And here's the trick, because I'm sure everyone listening, all two of you, I don't know how many people are listening. There's a few online, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, here's how we make this home our home, the one that God is inviting us into. Obedience. It's real simple. Obedience. So Jesus says in John 15, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And by extension, that applies to joy as well. We abide in God's love and in his joy as we abide in obedience in Christ. The reason love and joy is so lacking for so many of us is because we're neglecting God's word. The reason for so many of us that I don't feel love, I don't feel loving, I don't feel full of joy, I'm not happy, I feel sorrow, I'm irritated all the time. The reason that's so true for so many of us is that we're neglecting God's instruction and God's word in our lives. So Colossians three thirteen tells us to forgive one another forgive one another. So it's kind of hard to enjoy God's love and God's joy if we're holding grudges. It's extremely difficult for us to be like, I want to make God's home, uh, his love and his joy and his presence my home if we're resentful all the time and if we're not extending grace to people. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk on wine. So it's hard to be filled with God's spirit And God's love and God's presence and God's joy, if we're filling ourselves with chemicals that alter our behavior in our brain chemistry, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever the case may be, if we're filling ourselves with that, it's hard to enjoy the home that God has for us. Acts 2 verse 42 says to be devoted to scripture, devoted to Christian fellowship and to prayer. Well, it's hard to experience god's love and god's joy if we ignore the main conduits by which his love and joy come into our life which is his word studying it reading it meditating on it memorizing it uh if we're ignoring the relationships with christian brothers and sisters that we're supposed to be enjoying and partaking of for accountability and for growth and for love and protection or if we're ignoring prayer if we're not praying enough it's We're going to have a deficit of love and joy. So obedience to Jesus matters. If you want to abide in Jesus, you have to abide in obedience. And it's through that that then this home that God has for us, this love, this love home, this joy home, this presence home of the Lord becomes a greater and greater reality in our day-to-day life. So we can't expect to have a nice, clean home if we're always tracking in the mud. It's the same uh, spiritually. We can't expect God's love and joy to be our home if we're giving ourselves over to sin. If we're just uh, saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it. It doesn't matter, Lord, what you want. If we keep giving ourselves over to that, then of course there's going to be a deficit of love and joy in God's presence in our life. So for us, if you want to make this home your home, the one that God is offering, then confess your sin. Confess it. God knows. I always say this. God knows he loves you anyway. He knows it better than you do. So just come clean. Be honest. Humble yourself before him. Confess it. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Say, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to pursue that lifestyle anymore. I'm not going to pursue that course of action anymore. I'm going to pursue your ways instead. Ask for grace to grow and to change so that you're no longer lured by those things, so that you can do it the right way going forward. And the thing is, if we humble ourselves, God will help us. If we humble ourselves and we we confess our sin and turn from it, God will provide his grace and his spirit. And more and more every day, his presence and his love and his joy are going to be our home. It'll become our everyday reality. That's what Jesus is saying in these verses. Just abide in me is what Jesus is saying. Just abide in me like, listen to me, heed my word, heed my instruction, abide in obedience, and these things are going to be piled onto us. They'll become realities in our life. Um, So this past Thursday, uh, we at Anthem Church, we coordinated this wonderful effort uh, to give uh, water and supplies and provisions out to Um, individuals in our community, maybe folks that are disabled, some elderly, some people that uh, maybe don't have the financial means to have gotten the supplies in advance of the storm. Uh, Big props to Kristen Stiltner who in a very short amount of time put this Uh, effort together and coordinate it all. So thank you, Kristen, so much for doing that. Uh, So Thursday afternoon, evening, uh, we gathered at the Anthem Church building and people from our community brought stuff. We put it in cars and then we went out and we delivered it to uh, different neighborhoods. And uh, myself and uh, one of our church members, Uh, happens to live right next door Uh, Mr. Steve Emery uh, me and him went to a very specific neighborhood a low-income neighborhood in our town uh, to hand out flats of water and uh, so we were knocking on doors and every door that we knocked on we gave water and we shared the gospel uh, and we told everyone about Jesus and and we just used it as an opportunity Uh, they would knock and say hey here's some water Um, can I share something with you? And of course they all said, yes. I said, listen, there's a storm that's coming and we really don't know how bad this is gonna be. So it's really good to be prepared and it's really good to have water just in case. Uh, But let me tell you about a better water. Let me tell you about a, uh, a greater water and his name is Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he is living water and whoever drinks of Jesus, whoever takes of him into their soul will never thirst again. So we shared with them that, that Jesus, he's in control of all storms. He's, he can calm all storms. Um, the storm hasn't caught him by surprise. And that Jesus is inviting them home. That he came to earth uh, to go to a cross, to pay for our sins on a cross, to pay that debt. And whosoever believes in him, we're forgiven of our sin. And then we're welcomed into a home later after this life, in the next life. One that wind and rain and waves cannot destroy. An eternal home, a spiritual home in the very presence of God, folks. That is the message that everyone needs to hear. That, yeah, our homes here are temporary, but there is one that's coming that is not. And Jesus, he has secured that home for us. He is the living water that secures that for us. And so uh, our goal our mission here at Anthem Church is for everyone to know that message and to receive it and to embrace it so that when we breathe our last breath here and we step into that next life we will all hear God say to us welcome home welcome home but as wonderful and and beautiful and majestic as that next home is going to be for all who place their faith in Jesus we can have a good home here it's not as good as that one but we can have a home away from home and that's one characterized by the presence of God, the love of God, and the joy of God in our lives each and every day, every moment of our day, a place of safety and security, a home in which we know God. So the choice is ours. The choice is ours. Are we going to believe Jesus or not? He's, are, are we going to attach ourselves to him who is the true vine or not? The choice is ours will you abide in him will you choose obedience will you choose faith Will you choose to believe in him and give your life to follow him first that's the choice that all of us have and if you make that choice to make jesus your home abiding him remain in him like move in and spread out and relax and enjoy what only god can offer a good home for your heart for your mind and for your soul today and forever choose now so that's the message I wanted to share with everyone. I I pray that if you've heard this, uh, that you are being led by God to make some kind of choice in your life. I do believe anytime God's word, the gospel is presented, all of us uh, are compelled to take a step of faith and a step of grace. And for some of us, it might be the first time choosing to believe in Jesus and God, I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me. I'm tired of living a certain way. The ways of the world don't work. I'm gonna follow Jesus. If that's you, just pray to God and then contact us at Anthem Church if you don't have a church and let us help you take the next step. For the rest of you who are followers of Jesus, just know that the reason, maybe, if you're lacking love in your life and joy and God's power and presence, It may be that there's a certain stronghold in your life, a place of sin uh, that you need to do business with and come clean before God and start taking steps toward eliminating and growing in holiness and godliness in that area. So just choose, make a choice. Whatever that choice has today, regarding what you just heard, make a choice, follow Jesus. If you don't have a church, come check us out at Anthem Church. We'll take you as you are and we'll help you grow to become who it is that god wants you to be so god bless take care stay safe stay off the roads until local government tells us uh, that it's safe let's not put our emergency first uh, responders out there in any more jeopardy than they already are uh, let's not tax them any more than they already are god guys you have a great week god bless i love you i'm going to pray and i'm going to sign off thank you lord so much for today i do thank you for uh, your grace I thank you for your love, for your mercy, Lord, for so many of us whose homes are intact, who have power, who are safe and dry. Lord, we do pray for all of those who are still in harm's way, who um, uh, are near rising floodwaters, Lord. We ask that you would protect them. Uh, Lord, I pray that the body count would not increase, Lord. I pray that you would spare uh, any more lives. Our hearts do go out for those uh, who have lost a loved one. Lord, comfort them with your peace, Lord, for all of those who've lost a home, Lord, I pray that you would uh, provide many ways through your people and your church uh, to provide a home, a residence, something, Lord, uh, for for a place here, a a home for these people who've lost theirs. But Lord, may this situation uh, not be lost on us. May we feel your need, not just now, but always. And may we use every opportunity to share this wonderful story of your love of grace, of the cross, of the resurrection, and of the home that you have for us now and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.